Roger McName discusses how Facebook's own research revealed that 64% of the time a person joins an extremist Facebook group. They do so because the platform recommended it. Facebook has also acknowledged that pages and groups associated with QAnon extremism had at least 3 million members. So this means that Facebook helped radicalize 2 million people. Welcome to Technically Spiritual, a podcast that explores how technology impacts the way we think, feel, and act. We look to both ancient wisdom and psychology to understand how to nurture our minds, bodies, and souls today. We strive to integrate our spiritual selves into our digital world to create peace in our minds and on our planet. I'm your host, Prayer Namachanda. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Technically Spiritual. I'm Prerna, your host, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to announce a couple of offerings that we have going on. The first is our digital decluttering workshop that's happening on Saturday, January 16th. And this is really a workshop in the spirit of minimalism and Marie Kondo. Essentially, we are going to be tidying up our phones. We spend so much time on our phones that when they're messy and chaotic, we feel really anxious and less productive and overwhelmed. And just like we need to clean up our physical spaces inside our drawers, our desks, our homes, We do need to devote time to organizing our digital spaces as well. And so in this workshop, we'll organize what's on our phones. We'll specifically focus on organizing our apps, our social media, our messages, and our email. And we'll work through this process together as a community, according to a schedule so we don't get lost in the past. So I hope that you will join me or tell a friend if you feel like somebody needs a little nudge to clean up their device. You can find the information on technicallyspiritual.com slash offerings. You'll also find our second event that's occurring this January and February. Yoga Nidra is back. So Wednesdays at 6 p.m. You can experience this healing, lying down, beautiful meditation to take a little break from all of the chaos that's going on in our world and find a little bit of peace. So you can register on technicallyspiritual.com slash offerings for that one as well. Without further ado, let us get into today's topic. This episode may seem a little different from previous episodes. At the time this episode is being released, we've just entered into 2021. We have just experienced an insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last week on Wednesday. This was a disturbing event for Americans and for global citizens. This event really has left me and so many others feeling incredibly emotional. I have just been trying to wrap my head around this thing ever since it took place. It's really all that I've been kind of thinking about and watching. And I, like so many of you, want an explanation as to how we could have let something like this happen 
And I also want to be part of the solution to ensure that our country and the world ultimately moves in a safer, healthier, and more peaceful direction. I want to start by talking about how we got here. First and foremost, Donald Trump, his enablers in government, and right-wing media are absolutely to blame for the events that took place on January 6th. But I want to discuss how social media companies, particularly Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, all had huge roles in enabling them and giving them a platform to thrive dangerously. We're hearing a lot, and we have heard a lot, about how platforms can't do anything to regulate social media legally due to freedom of speech, and how they're actually protected by Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which is the law that shields interactive computer services from being legally liable over user-generated content. For example, T-Mobile can't be held liable if two people using T-Mobile are having a discussion about something illegal. Things have gotten a lot more nuanced since 1996, though. At any rate, Roger McName, the author of Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe, states that the platforms hide behind the First Amendment to justify their policies claiming that they don't want to be arbiters of truth. But algorithmic amplification of extreme content is a business choice made in pursuit of profit. Eliminating or altering these algorithms would reduce the harm from hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories without any limitation on free speech. Renee DiResta of the Stanford Internet Observatory states that free speech is not the same as free reach. The issue is not as much about the fact that people are going online and posting conspiracy theories. The problem is that algorithms employed by Facebook, Twitter, YouTube actually promote this content to billions of people. In this country, yes, you have a right to stand up on a park bench and scream lies so long as you're not physically harming anyone. But what these social media companies actually do is amplify this screaming to people who wouldn't otherwise be looking for it, to see it, to hear it, and to see it many, many, many times so that it becomes truth in their minds. Roger McName discusses how Facebook's own research revealed that 64% of the time a person joins an extremist Facebook group. They do so because the platform recommended it. Facebook has also acknowledged that pages and groups associated with QAnon extremism had at least 3 million members. So this means that Facebook helped radicalize 2 million people. For those who aren't familiar with QAnon, BBC writer Mark Wenling describes it well. He says, At its heart, QAnon is a wide-ranging, completely unfounded theory 
that says President Trump is waging a secret war against elite Satan-worshipping pedophiles in government, business, and the media. QAnon believers have speculated that this fight will lead to a, a day of reckoning where people like Hillary Clinton will be arrested and executed. QAnon believers played a major role in popularizing the pro-Trump rhetoric that precipitated Wednesday's siege of the U.S. Capitol. Their community shaped the false right-wing narrative that Joe Biden fraudulently won the election. But enough about them. I've spoken before about YouTube's algorithms as well. YouTube's video recommendation algorithm inspires 700 million hours of watch time per day. Guillaume Chaslow is an AI expert, and he helped actually write YouTube's recommendation algorithms. He left YouTube ultimately after discovering the harms it was doing to society, and he now sheds light on these hidden patterns. He says that the recommendation algorithm is not optimizing for what is truthful or balanced or healthy for democracy. About 70% of views on YouTube actually come from recommendations, so that little bar that says up next on the side. Renee DeResta says that the site's algorithms are largely responsible for amplifying Russia Today, a Russian state-owned propaganda, hundreds of millions of times. Guillaume Chaslow discusses how YouTube's recommendation algorithm was also not neutral during the presidential race, the presidential race in 2016. He says that it was pushing videos that were in the main helpful to Trump and damaging to Hillary Clinton. He explains, wherever you started, whether it was from a Trump search or a Clinton search, the recommendation algorithm was much more likely to push you in a pro-Trump direction. Because the goal is to keep people engaged. The algorithm ends up needing to show more and more extreme content. Flat Earth videos get more watch time than round Earth videos. The algorithms are designed only to keep people on their platforms for as long as possible. Think about it. What keeps people online? Disturbing, hateful, and extreme content. And this is a recipe for disaster, like the disaster that we have seen take place in the Capitol. I want to talk about the work of Yael Eisenstadt. She spent years as a CIA analyst, a diplomat, and a national security advisor at the White House, and she began to view the breakdown of civil discourse as the biggest threat to U.S. democracy. She says, despite their stated goal of building community, the largest social media companies as currently constructed are antithetical to the concept of reasoned discourse. There's no way to reward listening, to encourage civil debate, and to protect people who sincerely want to ask questions in a business where optimizing engagement and user growth are the two most important metrics for success. As long as algorithms' goals are to keep us engaged, they will continue to feed us the poison that plays to our worst instincts and human weaknesses. Stephen Levy from Wired writes, The big question for Facebook and Twitter is what kind of services do they want to be? One where comedy rules or one where divisive wedges poison society. Saying 
they want to be all hearts and flowers doesn't mean anything. The question is, what do they want to do to get there? A New York Times article revealed that after some pressure, both internally from employees and externally from the public, that Facebook did attempt to calm the conspiracy theories after the election, by after the 2020 election, by adjusting their algorithms as a test. So they added what they called the News Ecosystem Quality, NEQ, scores to articles. So they ranked reliable journalism higher than lies and fantasy. So this created what employees called a nicer news feed. But they stopped the experiment after a few weeks, and they did a different experiment. Facebook trained a machine learning algorithm to identify the kind of posts that were, quote, bad for the world, and then demoted those posts in people's feeds. And there were fewer toxic posts. But none of these approaches ended up sticking around. And why is that? Because they resulted in people spending less time on Facebook. The less time people spend on Facebook means the less money Facebook gets. In this article, the New York Times revealed that they viewed an internal document where Facebook concluded, quote, the results were good, except that it led to a decrease in sessions, which motivated us to try a different approach, end quote. And that is ultimately the bottom line. These companies have the tools to make the changes that we need to make for a more peaceful world. But their business models prevent them from implementing these tools. So long as their goals remain to increase the time spent online, they have no incentive to create a digital world that isn't filled with misinformation, conspiracy theories, and ultimately hate. As of now, their approach is a -a whack-a-mole style. They're trying to stop things once they've already emerged. And honestly, by the time they do, it's too late. Like banning Trump from Twitter and Facebook? This is not a heroic act that they've done. He's already mobilized millions of people. The insurrection already happened because of the way he was using these platforms for years. So let's now think about what we can actually do about all of this. First and foremost, we have to address the deep societal issues that have come to the surface, especially in 2020. Right? We have racial injustice, healthcare, environmental crisis, voting rights, so much more. Social media is not entirely to blame for all of these issues, nor can it save a society who really needs to heal, but it can absolutely aid in the process. It can be a tool to help us. Facebook and all of these tech companies cannot continue to deflect responsibility. The whack-a-mole approach is not working anymore. They have to be proactive. Yael Eisenstadt says that Facebook could actually try and fix some of this. She says they could stop amplifying and recommending conspiracy theories, the hate groups, and the purveyors of disinformation. They could stop using the same personalization techniques to deliver political rhetoric that they use to sell us sneakers. They could retrain their algorithms to focus on a metric other than engagement, and they could build in guardrails to stop certain content from going viral before being reviewed. 
And they could do all of this without becoming what they call the arbiters of truth. Currently, there are no U.S. laws that call for any social media to protect our democracy or our public square or our elections. The rules are ultimately left to the CEOs to all of these private, for-profit companies. They have no incentives to make changes with their current business model that's only focused on engagement and growth. At this point, people are using the tools of Facebook, of Twitter, of YouTube exactly as they're designed. The algorithms are being used for hate. So they have to do something about it. Not only Facebook, all of these technology companies have to do their part to step up. And this might mean completely altering their business model and changing their product. But they cannot continue to only care about growth and engagement at the expense of our democracy, privacy, and safety. The new administration has to step up too. Yael Eisenstadt says that the government needs to find the balance between protecting free speech and holding these platforms accountable for their effects on society. And they could do so in part by insisting on actual transparency around how these recommendation engines are working, around how the curation, amplification, and targeting are happening. As it presently stands, most of us have no clue how these algorithms work, and we need transparency around it. We, the people, as well as government, need to be able to understand it to be able to fix it. Roger McName says, it's not enough to amend or repeal Section 230. Engineers need to be accountable for harms. It's not enough for Apple to implement opt-in privacy for iPhone users. We need comprehensive privacy policies for all. It's not enough to break up tech giants. The government needs to restore competitive balance. He continues, policymakers must take action. The harms of internet platforms are no longer contained or abstract. They are destabilizing our society and our government. The Biden administration will not be able to stop the pandemic and revive the economy without limiting disinformation and conspiracy theories spread by internet platforms. The insurrection in Washington should provide motive and opportunity to act. Ultimately, what can we as average citizens do? We can pressure our representatives to step up and make these changes to protect our privacy and our democracy. We can educate family and friends who blindly utilize these tools to understand how they're being manipulated online. We can look deeper. We can do our research. We can understand where things are coming from. We can vet our sources. We should be engaging with others who have different viewpoints than ourselves. We can't just stick in our own little bubbles and hate on the other side. Every single one of us in society has to do our part to help fix this. We will not heal unless we start working together. I'm angry and I'm sad, but I'm also empowered. And I truly believe that if each and every one of us 
work together to fix this. Healing is possible. 2020 was a year of deep sorrow and reflection, but it also brought to light so many things that we have to work on. Now it's the time in 2021 and beyond to take action on these things that have come to the surface. We need to do this in every way that we can to make our society safe and healthy on the inside and the outside. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you feel inspired, please do share this episode with a friend. You can visit technicallyspiritual.com. All the resources, the people that I quoted and mentioned are on the show notes of this episode. And of course, you can check out the offerings page. I would love to see you in any of our events. And feel free to contact me. There's a contact page. I would love to hear from you and hear your thoughts. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you soon. Take care.